Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop. Joining me today is the wily and whimsical Walter Holmes, creator of the Wall Street Whiz Stock Market Simulator and a champion of education. If you'd like to learn more about today's guests, be sure to check out his website at thefifthhouse.com, or you can check out that simulator at wallstreetwiz.com. And finally, be sure to reach out with any suggestions, corrections, questions for future guests. Do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com. Or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. We have all those links in the episode description so you can peruse them at your convenience. Without any further ado, let's get to know today's guest, Walt. Can I call you Walt? Yes, you can. How are you today? Ah, I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. It was like nice hearing your intro. Oh, <laughs> Do you, this is your first uh, podcast, right? Yes, it is. It's, it's experience. I'm enjoying every minute of it. Oh, well, good. well hopefully we don't sour the experience. <laughs> I know you can't. Or set the bar too high. You may find that uh, nobody else uh, measures up like we do. Okay, well, there you go. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> so tell me, uh, tell me about the project. Uh, tell me about Wall Street Whiz. Like, why did like have you always been interested in the stock markets, uh, or why did you choose that as as an, an uh, simulation to create? Well, I was always interested in the stock market. I just enjoyed the. Um, the, the complexity of it. Um, yeah. You know, to be honest, if you want to, as an analysis, uh, economics is analysis model. It involves numerous corporate participants forming a symbiotic network relationship, network structure, where each corporation having a defined market value that determines its range, strength of influence, states of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So it's a mathematical model. If you really look at it that way, it actually has emotions as well as other uh, structural things that are included as well. You know how a, a rumor or a belief can change the market value in a, in a heartbeat. So right. all these factors that are involved in it, and it's more than just coming what can come out of a book. That's why it was important to create the Wall Street Wiz, because it had to do with personalities. You know, you get a chance to understand who was running the economy at that moment, you know, and, and mm-hmm. things that they wanted and how the market shifted based on their desires. It's interesting that you mentioned the emotions being uh, behind some of the drivers too. And that's something you don't hear a whole lot of people talk about unless you're talking to like people who have like spent years actively trading. 
I don't know if it's as much now as it is before because there's a lot of control of the market now. Mm. You know, there's ways that that's being manipulated. I think that takes a little bit of that out of it. If you know what I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm... Well, yeah. I mean, the institutions have always tried to trade without that emotion, but I think they play on the emotions of the retailer, the public. Uh, like if you, you know, when the the markets get uh, super exciting and everyone gets greedy, that's when they're unloading their positions, right? Well, <laughs> so... well unfortunately, uh, this was a isolated venture, and I don't have a lot more experience under economics after that, mm-hmm. except for the, uh, an interest in how it's affecting our kids going forward. So wow. this was like, the reason why I did it was uh, in in the 1988 or something like that, I started my first company mm-hmm. and I ended up losing it about three years later, uh, two years later, and I shouldn't have lost it. I really felt bad. So I needed a project. Mm-hmm. I read a book called Wall Street, Understanding Wall Street. It's a little paperback book. Really interesting, but I had done an a assignment in college where we tracked the current time as a timeline during a period of World War II and realized how much information I got out of that moment. I mean, out of that study, hmm. where you saw so much more. I mean, you look at it, like studying World War II, you can see the events that happened. But in an isolated period of time, there was so much that happened in, in that you can see how its influence happened years after that or, or months after. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the, the shifting to the war footing to, to be able to, to right. basically go from a peacetime isolationist nation to entering like a second largest global war in the history of America or, you know, the world. Like, yeah, that's... <laughs> Economics is a, is a lot like that in, in the same way where, you know, it just seems like it's 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 the is a dynamic within what it does itself that that creates so many other reactions in our society. And yeah. following that, it's not it's it's numerical, sure, but it's still driven by human desire. Mm-hmm. And that desire can be like, you know, wanting a new product you know, right. or, or, or introducing something, whatever. So doing it as a simulation, you're able to capture a lot of that. The, the Wall Street Wiz program is a weekly simulation of the, of the stock market crash. And what's interesting is the crash, after the crash, the market almost fully recovered, then went, then went into a downturn. Right. I remember seeing that when I was a kid looking at the, the charts uh, in economics class, like, wait, if you would have just bought or held, you would have been fine. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because, it's, as I said, it's a stock market simulation from April 1st, 1929 to March 31st, 1930. And during that period of time, we had some kids that that almost doubled their amount of money. You started with $100,000. Mm-hmm. We've had kids who had 230000 at the end of the simulation. And they didn't really understand when the market was going to crash. I mean, they weren't that familiar with it as we were teaching initially. Right. So they suffered like somebody would during that time. But from their understanding of the market prior to the crash, they begin to understand what companies were positioning themselves that would be able to recover the fastest. That's where a lot of them made the money in, in the stock market during that, during that simulation. So it's really interesting how all of it puts together. Yeah, um, I mean, I was reading some of the feedback that you got from the educators who used this in the classroom back in the '90s, and I, I, I'm flabbergasted as to why this didn't take off because there is nothing like this when I was in school. 
you know, in the late nineties, uh, early two thousands. And I would have loved this. Just imagine, but you know, it's funny. It, it's imagine the characteristics of actually trading in, in, in a, a, the stock market. So mm-hmm. it is a game. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly feel like that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if you can, you can look at a lot of different professions that would give you that same type of thrill. If you just, able to reduce it to those parts that that you know would draw that type of attention but but it's a game i mean interesting yeah it's it's and basically that's what we're doing now it's kind of interesting um as a history of my company itself i did this Mm -hmm. as an isolated simulation you know a a educational program and from the time i started my company in 1993 to market and promote it one of my focuses was development of educational content Mm-hmm. So we got this in school, school district of Philadelphia and other places quickly. You know, it was, it yeah. was initially as a uh, a really large, uh, like a like one of those like flip charts. Mm-hmm. It would be my maybe like twenty four by eighteen or something size. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. So so that we could get kids together in a little group, they can see it from a distance. This mm-hmm. was before, I'm, I'm giving my age now. Some of this was before they even had the uh, those little projectors that went on the walls. Oh, the ones that you write on? Yeah, that. I mean, yeah. It was before way back, you know. <laughs> also, you got to remember, you got to remember that when I said I did this as a project, there was no internet when I did this. Yeah. So I, was, I did, I was doing microfish. Wow. Looking at, looking at newspapers, the Wall Street Journal, you know, and it was a lot of microfish to read. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, it, it, the internet, you could do stuff like this much easier now, you know. Did you create it all yourself? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it, I, I immersed myself in it. It was really a very interesting project to get into. And I don't know what kind of objective I had when I when I wrote it initially. I mean, I didn't I didn't think it was going to be for school. It was just basically something to do. Yeah, right. And then when it turned out to be what it was, and then those people that got involved played it, got that enjoyment out of it, I began to promote it a little bit more, with the intention of actually following up with other types of programs like this. But mm-hmm. as we had talked about earlier before this podcast. Um, it's hard to get recognized in education, developing an educational program because um, they have no way of quantifying the value of individual curriculum. Which is sad because the way that they've shifted towards measuring the metrics, is, I think, degraded the school system as a whole. I think it did tremendously. Like, give me, you know, when we were going through this, like my th- my background is in military and regulations. Well, thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you for yours as well. But thank you. So when when you look at how I was also consulting for businesses. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that there is an objective that I'm coming into a business as an as a consultant. The first thing I want to identify are what are your objectives? What are you trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. And then from those objectives and looking at the resources they have, I'm going to break everything down into individual processes. Okay to understand how each one of the things that are being done by all these different aspects of your organization are first connected and how the processes then create the outcome you're seeking. Interesting. In education, there's only one major process, and that is in the classroom. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not quantified. It's not valued. So when we talk about problems in education, it's because we're not, we're not, we are quantifying what's in the classroom on a day-to-day basis by what's being done at the end of a school year. Right. So there's no association between the two. So yeah, there's nothing to show like whether like students are actually taking an active interest in what they're doing or whether they've just been sitting bored to tears and trying to cram for a test. Like there's no differentiation between the two and one's an effective way of learning and one is not. So what we were looking at was just different ways of, of addressing what intelligence is, first of all. It has to be cognitive. You know, we want to induce we wanted to include the, the skill sets that define who the student is. Um, uh-huh. Our focus right now is the mastery of self. Okay. And if you understand how ancient educational approaches were with Socrates and Aristotle, uh, they, they, they sought to have the person understand who they were first. You, you, you introduce the world to the student before you introduce the student to the world. Interesting. Okay. And you create, and you create a very understanding because that's how they're going to see themselves. Mm-hmm. And then how they see themselves is how they're going to see the world. It's like right now we talk about social media and how it's affecting our kids. The, the remedy isn't attacking social media. <laughs> right. The remedy is improving the kids in understanding who they are first. So they're not influenced as much. So rather than sending them out into the world <laughs> without having any idea what to expect. Do you? Yeah, no, no, we send them out in the world without any idea who they are. Right, right. Yes. And if you don't know who you are, then how do you take in what's going on around you when you can't even define? You wind up taking everything in, and that happens to be sometimes the wrong things, you know. So, so how does the how does what you're doing now then? How do you get around that? Like, how do you how do you try to incorporate that into the projects that you do these days? Well, that that was kind of the connection I was making with the Wall Street Whiz. Mm-hmm. It's 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 you create a learning environment in cognitive development by creating simulations and models. Mm-hmm. And basically what you're modeling is intelligence. That I had mentioned a minute ago that certain skill sets that are dominant in the analysis of the stock market. You know, okay. it's, it's transitive uh, uh, analysis. It's, it's reasoning. You know, those kind of whatever it may be. Right. That's what you're modeling. So what we do now, I'm creating things like service learning programs for, for kids. Um, we're looking at after-school programs, secondary community-based education systems. Um, mm-hmm. One of the major areas we're looking at is community-based education supporting community-based enterprise. So we're looking at professional development skills and how you can create that within a community. And imagine a community where you might have whatever problems that community may have, everyone that community has or shares five professional skill sets, wherever they may be. And then hmm. you target or you create strategies that allow this, those people in the community to use those five particular skill sets, you will greatly improve that community. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's organizing and structure and all that. So that's what we're doing now. What's interesting is that the principle of creating the simulations, where I'm using now, we have something called tactical planning programs, which was used in schools. I used in schools as, when I was a consultant to create their strategic plan and then allow them a web-based platform to execute their plan. Okay. What we do now is go into communities and we create that same strategic plan for the community. We're able to bring in 
organization I work with, John Hopkins University, Clemson University, um, Morgan down in Maryland as well. And we can now partner those kind of relationships to, to research and solve and implement the strategies the community comes up with in, in, as a way to address their problems and challenges. One of the really cool things I saw with that too is that there's actual feedback that comes with it. Like when these these groups get together and try to think of solutions and then go out and try to implement them, then they actually get to see the effects of what they did too. And I think that's really powerful. You know something? It's funny because I think that's all you really need to do. It's like, uh, right? how, how do people become something? How do people become something, a part of something greater than themselves? They got to have a, they got to feel like they own it, right? They got to have ownership of it. Yeah, prepared to own it, but first you have to define what that is going to be. What is right, it that they're going right. to be a part of? And you define what it's going to be a part of by the metrics of what it does. Mm-hmm. By de- by being able to say, okay, we we as a community were able to do X, Y, Z here in this part, like a garden or whatever. Suddenly, because people who are part of it become part of the group. It grows that way. We're looking at at things like um, wow. <laughs> One of the interesting things that happened, am I going off subject too much? Is this all right? No, no, no. Keep going. Okay. One of the things that happened in Philadelphia a, a long time ago was that it was overrun with graffiti everywhere. And mm-hmm. Philadelphia was smart enough to come up with the idea of creating murals. Yeah. Philadelphia now has like over 4,000 murals. They have coffee table books that are murals of Philadelphia City, right? So work we're doing in, in Baltimore in 2001, 2000, I'm sorry, 20, 2021, 2022, was the city has an abundance of abandoned homes. Mm-hmm. They're not only eyesores, but they're also dangerous. Sounds like Detroit a couple of years ago when they had the housing collapse. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of cities. Well, yeah, we were, yeah. We, yeah, we were working with um, uh, John Hopkins University, uh, Bloomberg School of Environmental Health, we were looking at how we we're going to repurpose the building. A lot of them don't have pipes in it anymore or anything of value. Oh wow! Simply just make it, just simply make it a, a solid structure with with uh, solar panels, LED lighting. We were looking at vertical gardens inside, water capture systems, solar panel pumps, so that we could create commerce within the community. Mm-hmm. Also, as a project that is part of the service learning, um, professional development of the of the older people in the community, all these areas are now coming together under this effort, and with that with that commitment and, and involvement by the community, now the community becomes defined as something other than what it was. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, how- that's the, and that's the whole concept we're using. How hard is it to get people to buy into it or the students? The students are easy part. The adults are always a problem. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my God, believe me. Well, what's the what's the issue on the, the uh, adult side then? Uh well let me tell you, let me say it put it another way. What's the easy part about the students? That'd be easier to explain. Okay. Okay. Um I was I taught uh, junior OTC not long ago. And mm-hmm. One of the things that we were looking at, I'm just going to talk about this a little bit because this is how we evolve. Oh, please do. Yep. The junior OTC in a school does not have the requirement of teaching students to a point that would then be tested later, like an anchor mm-hmm. assessment or standardized testing that happens in schools. Right. Okay. 
So we, we have freedom. And one of the things that we looked at were things like leadership, character development, you know, and, and mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you gauge that? How do you target that? My belief as a teacher is if I have a, a, a motivated student and he's in my class and doesn't learn anything, that's my fault, not his. Right. But what I need to do is create a motivated student. I need to get them involved in things. So we created with projects, you know, and it was funny because right on, I, I realized the way that I could get them to understand what I wanted them to do. So I was going to, sh- I showed them that first in a way. And it was funny because they like balled the paper up and threw it at me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't disrespectful. I couldn't stop laughing. I really yeah. It was just the perfect thing that they did. But it, that I learned was you never give any group of people something new. You always give it to them after you give them something else and you introduce it as a solution. Ah, okay. So when we started getting into projects in the, in the school, we did a um, pandemic response plan for the whole school. That was one of the first things that we did. Okay. The students now need to say, well, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? So I now reintroduced what I had given to them the year before. And what it was was a... A listing, I've created a listing of the professional skills I want the students to learn. Things like, what is a baseline? You know, what is a trend analysis? Uh, what is a, a needs analysis? Um, mm-hmm. You know, ways that you can research data. There's all these different things that were all professional skills. But each one of the things I mentioned wasn't, a, it was a task. Right. So, so I could then identify an objective on a sheet of paper and just list the tasks that need to get done mm-hmm. so that when the students completed the task, the project was over and they didn't realize that they had done what they were supposed to be doing. <laughs> but, but, but the paper also gave them structure. So it identified the project leader, a team leader, and team members. So I could have from one sheet of paper a, a, a team structure for as many as 20 people, 20 students. Mm-hmm. And the person who I gave the paper to was the person that was the team, the, the project leader. Right. They, they won. As soon as they saw the paper, they won. You know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But with that, we were able to create great projects. I can now identify something that I wanted them to do, write it up in this format, and just give it to them. <laughs> it makes your job easier as a teacher. <laughs> it made it so great. And and the things that I'm evaluating weren't things like the academics. There were things like leadership skills. The leader, the team leader, was he being a leader or she being a leader? Um, communication, how participation, all those were skill sets that I was teaching the kids or emphasizing in my evaluation. What it sounds like what, what you've done is you've taken things that when you put them out on their own, people have little interest in using them or learning them. But when you show how it can be actually applied in the real world, I think that's where you get the interest in it, right? Well, one of the things, one of the things I think, especially my generation, I'm, I'm, I turn seven years old next year. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. My generation, I think we were more individualized. I think kids today needs to, need to learn how to work as teams for their survival. And, and they need to be able to, to plan together and, and, and to be part of something and to be a member of that and have that feeling we were talking about a minute ago. So that's a whole different way of teaching kids. Because that's not how we teach kids in most schools, if you know what I mean. Right. You know. Right. So that's the emphasis that we have for our community-based education, uh, a collaborative work that we're doing with 
universities, businesses, community leaders, that kind of thing, to get them socially involved. Right, right. Okay. So have you figured out a way then to actually measure these metrics then? Because that's probably going to be the biggest roadblock that you have, right? Is you have to be able to show some way of quantifying what the students have learned over the course of a semester or a year, right? You have no idea. The, the, you have no idea the, the the can of worms you just opened up. <laughs> <laughs> Please, then let's let's feast. <laughs> yeah. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Uh, I mentioned earlier that um, I was using the same regulations in the military that educators and schools have to use. And it's mm-hmm. called the Government Performance and Results Act. And, and basically, it's just that the document itself is what's used to, for an organization to justify being funded. Mm, yeah, yeah. So the requirements of determining performance itself can be in three different forms. It can be a standard, a value, or a rate. Okay. As early as 1996, after I realized I could not get far with my Wall Street Wiz program, I got into assessment. We devised a, a growth model student assessment system. Mm-hmm. So the concept is if, if you can articulate a goal or objective, you can quantify all aspects of its achievement. Interesting. So all I need to do is understand where I want a child to be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Basically, you can plot that student's development to that point and at any time determine whether the student is ahead or behind schedule. Interesting. And you can and you, you and the skill sets can now be not just the academic skill sets that are captured in standardized testing, but you can now have measures of soft skills because based on it being a linear analysis model, you're now able to make comparisons of different things along the way. Okay. Okay. So, and, and we actually, I have a, I have a, uh, a system, uh, where all this is, is now automated. I have a, uh, what is called, uh, actually called EDX where, where it's basically a student evaluation system. So we're able to now put information in to determine whatever it is that we want a student to be able to learn in that time frame I just mentioned. And then we can measure that student's development to that point accurately. And the other aspect of that was the a system that we I have that allows the projects to be managed. Okay. So let's just say that a team is given a project and a team leader has responsibilities. They could go online and let's just say that there were 10 of those things that I had them do mm-hmm. and they finish 
eight of them, they're 80% complete. Right. So that's how that was measured. And what it allowed them to do is as each one of those things, each one of the requirements of taskings, as they became known to the, to the team leader, they can click on it in the computer and then it teaches them how to do that. Okay. And then, and then that person teaches the students under them and they begin to form as a team and it, it's yeah. a whole system. So in essence, it's actually a shadow. It can be a shadow education system in a community. I don't want to say it replaces public education at all. At all. No, it, it sounds much more effective, though. It has it has a value, I think, because cognitive development to me is much more important than the academics. We don't even know what we teach. We teach four hundred to seven hundred percent more content than most industrialized countries in the world. Yet we score so poorly on those tests. That measure how right. You, yeah, so we're doing it wrong, and I, that's what I've been saying for a long time. We're just doing it wrong. I find that any kid that I've I've seen or I've taught could be reached. You know, if 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 first of all, what you want them to learn is relevant for them. First of all, mm-hmm. um, most of the kids that I that I dealt with had problems that were that were unimaginable. You know, in terms of inner city, you know. Being poor, a lot of them were hungry, right? Uh, and, oh, wow. thinking, and 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 there are just issues that are way beyond a stressor that I know was influencing them when I had them with me in my classroom. So how do you how do you make allowances for that? You know, you can tell. I mean, I have some really hard stories. I have some hard stories. I can't even imagine. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> my experience in the public school system was wildly different than what happens in these inner cities. Yeah, so to me, I just my thing is that there's an article I read a long time ago. Uh, I think it was from Yale professors, mm-hmm. and it was called "The Game Worth Playing." Uh, it was it was it was just an article in a, in a magazine, but basically it just had to do with what is it that's worth your time? What is it that's worth it for you? And, and, and it has to be something to me to be something for you that's greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. What is it that would make you submit to something? You know what I mean? I mean, people for religion, for family, for a lot of different things. But to be part of something, to feel part of something. You had mentioned earlier, you had said something about it in, the same, in, this, in another type of vein. But And how do you get kids to do that? If there's nothing else in their life, they will go to, to gangs and, and things that are not that, you know, it's almost like you got to show them like how this can help first. Right. So, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. so what we do, what we do is uh, in what well, I'm trying to, in terms of community-based education and community sustainable development is we do that, that strategic plan I talked about. So yeah. the community plan will involve things like there'll be a community policing plan. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting because, because um, there's a Coppin university in Maryland wants to do that with us when we start that there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are economic development things such as uh, construction. So if there are abandoned houses, how do you create a better environment? And all right. these things are teaching tools where we create scripts, which is what I mentioned earlier, but now mm-hmm. we call them scripts when they involve professionals outside the community. And that guides them along the way. And that's where they take kids. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? So the things that we, we, we I developed with that one sheet 
tasking order, it becomes a script now and it challenges the professional to accomplish what's on it, but they're bringing the kids along with them. Right. And, and as you had mentioned earlier about ownership is that there are levels of, re- of responsibility and leadership within the community for the kids. They can, okay. be, they can be team members, team leaders, project leaders, project managers, and then directors. Do you ever have anybody fighting over the leadership spots? Well, no, it's, it's, it's not. I mean, they, they have to go through five levels of uh, There's a whole structure in here. It's like five levels of achievement. And every okay, and level, okay. level two allows them to be a team leader. Level okay. three allows them, you know what I'm saying? So they, they, they have to go through some things and there are a lot of... It's not like you're just assigning all the roles right at the very beginning. Like there's some prep work and other things that go into leading, leading up into that. In, in a sense, yeah, because to tell you the truth, this is what replaces the grades. Right, right. So in essence, it's a, it's a, it's a marker where the student can understand a status that they have. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 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 we partner with the police where if the police pull over some kids and the police would have the same information. Kids on level three. Oh, okay. Go home. You know, you're on the <laughs> go home. Because now, now the kids has an identity and now the kids part of community. You know, and yeah, and now they're getting real benefits for the work that they're putting in. They're seeing a real payoff. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's and that kind of belonging is what all kids need. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, and it's funny because when I taught, uh, we had we started our class a period before school started, and the period that before school started, I had kids from all my classes in it. If <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh, really? Yeah, all wow. the time, early. And at the end of the day, I'm trying to kick kids out the classroom. So <laughs> there, there, there's there's a lot that's in, that can happen in schools that's not. What we're asking for now is for people's time and people's commitment to, to volunteer as we create these opportunities in communities across the country. Well, how can people volunteer if they want to? Uh, there will be, I will put more information to you soon on that. Uh, we're working on getting the structure. As I said, my company just turned uh, to be a nonprofit this year. Uh, and I was working with certain companies and helping them as a for-profit. Now mm-hmm. I'm kind of like doing this as running it in the sense of in the communities, partnering with, with the community itself. And that allows me to have now a managed volunteer force. That's what awesome. I'm actually that, yeah. But yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure they can just check out the website, too. Uh, I'm sure you'll have updates on there when things start opening up. You ready for this? That website was created in 1997. Wow. That was like uh, almost the same time as Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're probably about that same time. Yeah, yeah. So let me, uh, before we uh, stray too far into the weeds here, let me see if I can pull this back. and try to apply it towards us. Like, how can I, as like, uh, I guess I haven't said this on the air yet, but as a 40 year old, <laughs> how can I implement some of the ideas and some of the teaching aspects that you've used to improve like my own learning process? Huh, wow. That's um... like, what can I do to make my learning time more effective? Like if I want to learn a new skill, how can I go about that differently? You know, it's funny. Um, I, and I, 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 I've had said this comment many times that knowledge it's just is just more detailed what you already know. You know, oh, so can, you, can you explain? It's like it's 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 a greater understanding of what's already common to you. It's like okay. it's like 
seeing something and then realizing it by studying it that you now know something more that you didn't know before. That's all it mm-hmm. is. I mean, so if you can give anyone a topic, their journey now becomes to become an expert in that, to, to learn more about what it is that they learn that they know. And that's, that's, that's what intelligence is. Mm-hmm. And then from that deeper understanding, you're now able to make associations with, with other things, you know, which is actually, it's funny, it's funny because talking to a professor, I can't pronounce his last name, his name, first name is Carlston, uh, at John Hart University, we're looking at ways of changing the way we teach kids by changing concepts and principles rather than, you know, like what's the concept of osmosis and then being able to apply hmm. that in other areas, in, in everything that goes through that process. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a, to learn something or to answer your question, I would just simply say to have a passion about something and then to study it, you know, to, to, to learn more about it. And your, your knowledge and your base will expand from your better understanding of that single item. Is it worth trying to partner with other people and try to create, recreate some of these group settings? Um, Do you find that that improves it or is that still something that can be effective as a one-on-one tool? You know, when I, whenever I think of groups, um, I always find it's always successful if you have some sort of planning system first. Interesting. And one of the things is, is I have a, um, I have an application that I just, I, def- <laughs> I had a client, uh, Tampa Bay Workforce Alliance way back when in 19, I'm sorry, 2009, or 2008. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to the president, vice president, and they were saying how most of the things they have their people do are basically projects. Hmm. So I made this application that allows you to create these projects, which is why I mentioned a minute ago when I, that I used to now make these tasks that I was making for the kids. Right. Right. So it's the same, it's the same application. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at, I find that if you can create a plan first and then create all the understanding that you need to have the structure, you know, the resources that you need, you know, Mm -hmm. roles of everybody. So everybody feels included those kind of things, you know, and what, the program that we have, the tactical program I was talking about, what allowed us to change so much was we would go to these these community meetings. You know, they had like 50 or 100 people in a meeting, you know, mm-hmm. and and everybody's getting worked up about something and, and okay, we need to get this done. We work, and then the meeting ends and everybody walks out. <laughs> Where with, with this application, I get the people's names and and, and email addresses first. And then when we go through this and somebody says something, we get to an idea, I'll just say, who wants to do this? Yeah. So here's their hand. I'll, I can point to them, put it into the system. And then they have all those resources I talked about before where they're able to create a team. They're allowed then to understand what the taskings are going to be. The objectives are clearly defined and the tutorial for each one of the steps they have along the way is available to that person in the community. So that rapid involvement, I find, turns a community around in a single night. I love that, too, because you're also not accepting just the problem. Like, that's one thing I always hated as a manager when I worked in the steel mills is when someone would come to me and say, I can't do this. It's not safe. So, okay, how can you do it safely? Like I always flip it back onto them. Like, don't come to me with just a problem. Come to me with a solution. 
and let's figure out how to do it safely. When I worked with, um, I got Carsten Caprice, something like that. He's it's he's a German uh, nationality. He has a big German accent. Really funny. Uh-huh. Okay. He's, he's a professor with the Bloomberg School of Environmental Health and Engineering at John Hopkins University. Mm-hmm. So when 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 he we started collaborating, he got involved. He said the same thing. He said he said, "I want to get involved, but I have one demand." Mm-hmm. That is, if we find something wrong, I get a chance to fix it. And mm-hmm. I was hooked. I just, I love the guy after that. I mean, I just, it was, yeah. because that's, and one of the problems I always have, I think communities have, is that too many people look at the community itself in need and say, I'm going to go out there and fix it, where that will never work. Right. So, and, and it has to at some point be ownership by the people who are there, who own the, who are in the community at some point, because that's what they're working towards. That's how you keep them motivated. Right. And you want more than just two or three people in the community feeling that ownership. You want the whole community to feel that ownership. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I tell you, to be honest, if you, you give me some kids, we're doing a project, I, I, I guess we're going to have 14 through 18 in, in schools. But I find that in schools, I lose a lot of my students the first two years out of school. Why is that? Because either they're not in college, they didn't go to college, or they didn't go into the military, something like whatever. Yeah. And then, and then after two years of, of working someplace they don't want to work at, the, the spark in your eyes usually is, is different. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. They've experienced you know, so, uh, some of, some yeah. of the daily grind and. Yeah, you know. So if you keep them active and involved in that moment, I think you can you can create better outcomes as an aggregate over time, you know? I love that. So, yeah, yeah so that that's that's why I think that, so we're looking at that 14 to a couple, first couple of years out of school, they could be leaders of the groups, of mm-hmm. the kids, that kind of thing, and service learning, whatever, but they're involved. And, and also, has uh, a, been a very strong effort to get uh, religious organizations involved. I, I haven't had too much success in that, but- I, I saw you had a few letters of recommendations from some different communities. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm saying as far as like a, a, if you give me a community, like a zip code, and then you give me five churches in that zip code, you now have a new school system. If you're in, you, right. have, you have a you have a community-based school system. Yep. And and it's under one umbrella. It would be, you know, you could go for a, a student that's registered can go to any one of the churches and be and receive the same type of training, the same evaluation system. So yeah, it's it's the structure of it, I think is important to kind of put together first in the community. And then you can direct that the, the students any way you want. You mm-hmm. know, be a part of it. A lot of the, the duties, such as from from maybe team leader or maybe project leader, gets a stipend with it now. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's an incentive. <laughs> yeah. So, but but the thing about it is that they're not like they're doing things productive. They're doing things that would basically should be paid for. Yeah, and it's yeah, learning management skills along the way. What mm-hmm. makes this so cool is that if you add the, the, that that uh, project management program I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. if you add the student student evaluation program I talked about as well, then you can create the the match between student involvement in projects, along with the evaluation of the student in the project, so mm-hmm. that when a student reaches level three, level two or three in our system. They are now assigned a mentor. I love that. 
And the mentor basically gets all this information about this student's activities right online. Uh-huh. And that's and that's their what's it? What's it called? The um person that you reach out to what's it called? Lifeline. Your lifeline. Lifeline, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lifeline for the kids. You know, yeah. they have somebody to talk to. And it becomes something that 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 we we created this capability and the, the mentor doesn't have to meet the kid. <laughs> right. Yeah, you do everything online. But if you can get people who really care, who can bring resources to the community, because the resources, when they come to the community, you can see where it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what makes it so cool for me is that because all this is automated, I mean, for me, it doesn't cost almost very little to maintain. So, right. so much goes into the community. And all I do is provide the structure for it so that people are assigned different positions, different teams are are accountable, are paid appropriately, those kind of things. Yeah. That's how it works. I love that. Um, starting to get towards the end here. I know you mentioned a, a book when we were chatting uh, before the call here. Uh, you want to talk about that? Like, what's your book about? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's about what I was just talking about. Um, it, the title of the book is Lead from the Middle, Lead from Behind. It is a, it is a term used in the military for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. Remember, President Obama used it once, and, and he got hammered for thinking that people could lead from the middle. <laughs> but that's the that's the concept that just basically just means that you're part of something you're mm-hmm. part of a bigger thing yeah just because you're yeah just because you're part of a big community doesn't mean you can't lead or can't be a leader from whatever your role is right i think that's the idea right and our concept is service leadership uh, servant leadership mm-hmm. so it talks about in the beginning about uh a the, the application of that in the military, in my my job as a commander of the 514th Aircraft Generation Squadron, which I dedicate the book to two chief master sergeants that worked with me at that time. Yeah, and they were the example exemplars of, of servant leadership. They they you know and what they were able to do, we were able to do in terms of turning that squadron around was 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 a hallmark of the book itself. Isn't it such a change when you get a, a change in your leadership and it just gets like it's almost like a switch flipping sometimes when you get a really good leader in place. You know, I, I it's it's I think that the leadership aspect of any project or any any business um, is reflected in the people that work there. You know, I mean, yeah. it really does. I mean, if uh-huh. you want to if if you want to know how the leader is, you can the first person you run into when you walk in the building. There's something in that leader that's in that person, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. We talked to somebody about this was maybe a different application, but when talking about whether or not you should run from a financial planner is you go meet the secretary. And if she hates her job, like get out of there. <laughs> but it's the same concept. Well, the concept, the, I, the idea is that no organization as a collective body can exceed the limitations of its leadership. Mm-hmm. So you know, individually, you might be able to see what you've been assigned but as an organization usually you're limited by those characteristics of this leader so yeah yeah and uh, how many times have you had projects die out because you couldn't convince leadership to make changes that you know would be beneficial for the company well one of the things that's really interesting was i would give in my classes i was teaching rotc i would give each class leader a a a project they had to figure out and mm-hmm. then have it as a, as a group discussion. And I look at him and I can tell as soon as it starts, who's going to get the answer right and who's not. 
the ones that did, <laughs> the ones, the ones that did were the ones that included everybody. You know, they they didn't talk a lot. They asked questions. They had their people come on board. You know, and and, and mm -hmm. participate. Where there were others who rushed through it, and you can see, well, they're not going to get to the full answer, and they didn't. And each time you can see it, it really didn't. So <laughs> that's funny. It was funny. <laughs> I just that was a ball. I really love. Uh -huh. Oh, I love this. I love this. Mm. All right. Um, let's see. So you mentioned that you're you're trying to work with some uh, churches too. So if there's people out there listening that want to try to get you involved in their church. How can they How can they go about that? Um. Wow. That would be fantastic. Um. If they could contact you to, to get my contact information or something like that. Um. Because at this point we're setting all this up. What we're able to do is to virtually do that strategic plan. Mm -hmm. Then we can set it up electronically and get get communities started. Yeah. Now, so if someone who can organize a, a grouping within their community, um, we can begin that process. The, 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 the whole process begins with understanding what you want. Right. So that's what strategic plan is about. What do you want? And then mm -hmm. figuring out how it can be implement it. It can be solved or whatever. So that's, that's kind of whole concept works. All right. Uh, my, my email, obviously in the episode description, if you want to shoot me, uh, shoot me a note to, to get a hold or to get in touch with Walter, just that's two bulls at financial ineptitude.com. Uh, Walter, do you have anything else you want to leave the listeners with here before we wrap things up? I want to say Kyle, that this being my first podcast, you have made it such a memorable experience. I'm looking forward to the next one. Ah, uh, I, love hearing that i really do <laughs> that's, because, that's because your audience didn't hear the whole the conversation we had before i finally was able to get on so oh um, uh, yeah I, yeah fortunately oh man hope yeah, i think so too so. <laughs> where are you at because man that storm sounds nasty it is, I'm, I'm in uh delaware delaware oh I it's, it's a passing delaware. storm coming through it you know it's supposed to be sunny a little later this afternoon you know I'm but you got good seafood up there yes they do all right, folks. Well, fortunately, we have come to the end of our time with Walt, but that's okay. You don't have to be sad. There's a whole year's worth of simulations to be done at wallstreetwiz.com that you can play with and challenge your friends. And please, and also, anybody have comments about that, please send them to you, to you, Kyle. Yes. You know, I'm just curious to see how people think. Yeah, yeah. Wall Street Wiz. Wiz is spelled W-H-I-Z. Yep. And uh, you can also learn more about Walt at thefifthhouse.com. Yes. All those links will be in the episode description if you want to check them out. We will be back soon with another exciting episode. But until then, swat that five-star rating like an angry principal from the 1950s school and take care. <laughs>